Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental health nor emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he has gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as they individually and personally choose while accepting full responsibility for their own individual thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you are acknowledging that you and only you are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Happy Thursday, everybody. This is Brian Barnett, your always sick on Thursday host, and I've This is the moment you've all been waiting for. I've got Matt Wilson on the line with me right now. And uh, the last time that uh, I talked with Matt, I offered my listeners and followers to uh, present Matt with a list of questions. And we got a bunch of them here. So we're just going to get into it. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing, um, yeah, I've just had something to eat, a cup of coffee. Uh, nicotine and caffeine levels are right up, so I'm all ready to go. Are you in your fluffy pajamas like you were last last time? No, I'm not in the fluffy. They're in the wash. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put them on the radiator later on to heat up. But no, I'm in I'm in my skinny jeans at the moment, which is pretty dangerous for guys over forty like me. <laughs> Let's get into this. Uh, we've got so many questions. Everybody seemed to be pretty uh, excited about asking you things. Did you notice that? Uh, yes, I did. Um, um, I've been through uh, been through a lot of them, and I, I had to uh, hold myself back from replying on the onto the group. But there's some, certainly some very good questions there from everyone. I'd like to address um, each one if I have the time. I'm happy to do that. Can I ask you a question myself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how did it make you feel whenever you saw that everybody was throwing in questions like that um, directed to you and your specific uh, circumstances? What was um, heartening was. Um, the quality of the questions themselves, um, how relevant they were. Um, even though they were asking me, even though they're asking me questions, it was clearly by the way the questions were being asked that there was an understanding uh, and certainly an interest in um, in how I uh, in how I deal with things or or my history. So uh, it was really positive. Um, it's, it, it's nice to have a bit of a sense of connection with other people who um, understand this um, you know, rampaging personality disorder. Great, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Let's get into it. Um, number one come from uh, somebody who says that she works over 18 hours sometimes with her. She's got her laptop, PC, phone, everything going on at the same time. Easel. She she says she she even has an easel going on at, at the same time. And so she wants to know if you think that pouring yourself so much into your work, working long hours, was an unhealthy coping mechanism as a way of sort of uh, avoiding dealing with yourself. And I'm going to split her question into a part A and a part B. So let's start there. Do you think that working long hours was unhealthy and was it a way of avoiding yourself? Um, Looking back on it, it was unhealthy and definitely a way of avoiding myself. Um, At the the time, it was... um, It's just something I felt like I had to do without really understanding why I had to do it. I just did it. Without the insight that I have now and the reasons why I did it, uh, back then, uh, what I did feel overwhelmingly was a need to please. That much I knew back then, before, well before the diagnosis, um, or any reasons why. Um, 
but mixed in with that was a sense to get away from my um, unhappy home life as well. So it, it was partly the need um, to do that at the time and also to pretty much get out of the house. But I had no idea it was unhealthy um, until many years later when the wheels fall off, as I do for most people, um, when you look back and realise that um, it was the whole reason why you did it uh, wasn't shaky foundations. Right, yeah, that I went through a lot of that myself, looking back and in hindsight understanding why I was doing what I was doing. The part B of her question is kind of related to what you just said. She says since it's normal to praise hard workers in general, that's kind of the social attitude. Did other people around you overlook this thing that you were doing, this working long hours and throwing yourself into your work, or were you doing it to get praise and respect from your family? Sounds like you were trying to escape your family. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't anything with, um, if you talk to my family, my parents, for example, then no. Uh, I've been estranged to them pretty much a long time. If it was my direct family, my, my partner, my children, so to speak, uh, no, it wasn't really for that. In a sense, I was trying to escape my, uh, escape my ex-partner and my, and my miserable home life. Um, I, loved, I loved the praise. Um, I was good at my job. Uh, I knew I was good at my job. Uh, and I wanted to make sure I did the best job I possibly could, which involved working a stupid amount of hours, for, you know, uh, and getting a good reputation, getting promoted, blah, 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 blah. But even back then, I got the sense that it was never enough. But the praise in general was, you know, intoxicating in a lot of ways, even though I couldn't articulate it back then exactly what it was. I just felt that I were need to actually do it and to get the praise for it. Looking back on it now, I, you know, I'm sure we all know the reasons why. Um, we do that either to fill the void, validation, that sort of thing. But back then, I was just, well, hey, I was just going along with it, throwing myself into it, which is, you know, it's a really good way of doing it, but without having really having that much of a clue why. So how's that changed nowadays for you? When I look when I look back at, it at the time when um, I was doing all the hours, getting this great reputation, um, as soon as I became unwell and I couldn't work, I was having problems. Boom! I was dropped like a stone from my employer. Um, that was incredibly painful. Uh, that's the first stage of the realisation I had that um, I was completely disposable in that sense and that it really didn't matter how much I did because it didn't really count for anything. Back then, I, I suppose I had an, a sense of entitlement that the more I did, the more dispensable I would be and I would, I would get that loyalty paid back. You know, I was young and quite naive back then. Nowadays, um, with, with, when it comes crashing to an end in a sense and I, and I got dropped, I learned a very, very valuable lesson and a very harsh lesson regarding that. And I, I promised at that time, whenever I did get back into work, that I would never give that much ever again. I will not do that. I will do a good job, and that is it. So I, it was a necessary lesson, which is, which is what I pass on to my, you know, my, my adult children as well. Never give everything you've got because you, there's no sense of entitlement to get back what you put in. And that's kind of the problem with um, when all of our validation depends on external forms of validation is that it can be taken away, can it? It can indeed, because that's, that's codependency in, all its, in, in whatever guise and whatever form it is. It's still a form of codependency on that validation. Yeah, that's, that's a really insightful point there. Um, now, there's a couple of questions. This question actually uh, comes in a couple different forms from a couple different people. And uh, so I'll ask like one part of it and then we'll come over to the other part of it. It has to do with isolation. You talked about that. And the person uh, asking this question says, uh, since you had isolated yourself for so many years, was that helpful or was it damaging? And uh, 
Did you feel more comfortable being free of judgment while you were isolated? Or did you do that because of trust issues? I guess she's asking what was the uh, motivation for isolating yourself? Um, that's the question that, in, well, I wouldn't say intrigued me, that uh, terrified me the most uh, because of the answer, to be honest. Uh, it's a really, really good question. It's key. If I look back on the isolation, sometimes I still crave that. Uh, and it was for a lot of years uh, because I tended to swap. Um, I swapped all kind of issues I got from external life, going out, interacting, relationships, for... Um, when I isolated myself, I didn't get any of that trouble. But instead, to swap, um, instead I got um, extreme depression, uh, emptiness. It was either one or the other. But I can't, but sometimes I crave that. In some ways it was good for me because, to be honest, there was no external, I don't like the word triggers, but I would use it. There was no, there was no external triggers and I wasn't getting myself into trouble. But there wasn't a life. So isolating yourself, for me, Half the time worked and half it was a complete waste of space. It's really quite a difficult question to answer because of the, the external triggers or, or, or the you know, soul-crushing depression I had when I was isolating myself. But then you've got the other, on the flip side of it, you've got, you know, there's no life. Uh, when, you, when, you, when your whole world is the size of a, of a single room, you're not living. It's like a boat being in the harbour that doesn't go out to sea. It's absolutely pointless. But with that, the associated risks of going out as well and interacting, which a lot of time for me, have got me into a lot of trouble and have been extremely painful. So between a rock and a hard place, it's, it's really difficult to answer. It's obviously unhealthy to isolate yourself. Um, but back then when I was doing it, I, I really didn't have much of an idea of, of either a diagnosis or what was wrong specifically to be able to help myself. So I did what I felt I needed to do at the time. But in hindsight, that is completely unhealthy to isolate myself. And I wasted a good 10 years of my life, my 30s. Um, which for any, for any human being should be a time fruition for whatever you choose to do in your life. It was a complete waste of time, to be honest, the isolation, but it tended to, get, it tended to um, keep me safe, but didn't. Hard one to answer. I, I recently had a conversation with somebody else about something similar to this, and uh, the way I described it to her was, yes, uh, you feel better in the sense that there's a lack, there's, there's less conflict in your life, but simply having less conflict in your life is not the same as saying that a person is genuinely happier. Would you agree with that? I would, I would agree with that completely. And, um, and considering back then I had no idea about the needs for outside validation and my craving for connection, I sacrificed my craving for connection and social interaction for um, soul-crushing depression and the feeling of loneliness and emptiness. Now, the second part of this question comes from somebody else, and I'm just going to read uh, basically what she wrote. She says, I've been staying in my room for a year now. It makes me feel safe, but in some ways it makes me very depressed. I think that I'd get better if I went out often or more often and started working, which scares me like hell, and some part of me really doesn't want to do it. I feel like I'm really missing out on so many things. And when I work once in a while, I actually feel really well and normal, she says in quotes. I'm a freelance sound engineer, so I work for one or two days a month for 15 or 16 hours a day, and that's just enough to pay the rent. But there's a part of me that is too scared of the world to really commit to something more regular. Since you, Matt, have isolated yourself for quite a long time, my question would be, what would you do differently if you could? She wants to know... 
how she can avoid the same mistakes that you made? To first of all, recognize, which I think uh, the person does, that it's, it's, you know, it's completely unhealthy, even though uh, the person, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a she, because I think I might have read the question, um, that agrees with, in principle, a lot of things I was saying about it, how it could be necessary and, and safer. However, um, me nowadays screams at myself 10 years ago or 15 years ago, what the hell are you doing? Um, you know, evidence that get out there a little bit by little bit. Uh, a bit of exposure to the outside world uh, while managing your own issues is vital because uh, you've got to allow, you've got you put yourself in a position to get better. If you're isolating yourself, um, which I did, I didn't take care of myself, whether it be my hygiene, whether it be cleaning my teeth, my clothes. I didn't give myself a sufficient baseline enough to get better. Um, getting out and interacting, albeit painfully at times, um, you're getting yourself ready for getting better. Because if you isolate yourself, you will not. There will be, there will be no recovery, in a sense. There will just be survival. Uh, I don't know which one I'd rather choose. You, you have some really great insight. I, there's not a whole lot I can add to what you're saying. And I, I love that uh, people are getting to hear this directly from you instead of me um, telling them the thing in principle. They're getting to hear it from somebody who, you know, has been there and now is looking back with hindsight being 2020 and saying this is this is where I was wrong and this is how I've improved. So thank you so much. Another question when you and this kind of stood out to me, too, when we talked the first time is that you realized at such a young age that something was not quite right. And the person wants to know what sort of reasoning do you remember going through at that age? Do you think, did you think that you were flawed, a bad thing, different, or was it something you just tried to ignore? I think I, on, on the last podcast, I, I said about, I, I don't know, sounded about five or six years old. Um, it, it was beyond my comprehension. Uh, there was some, it, it's like a shape that I couldn't quite make out. Um, I knew that there was, there was something, there was something fundamentally wrong with me. I think back then I felt overwhelming sadness and, and depression about it. But it too, after the age of, say, five and six, I noticed that I didn't have many friends. I always felt the odd one out, uh, a sense of you know, missing out on things, somewhat dislocated. One thing that did concern me at that young age was the fact that I didn't really have any hobbies. There was, wasn't anything I was particularly passionate about other than cars. Um, there was nothing else. There was no desire really to do or to be anything. Let, let, let me interrupt you for just a minute. I think what she's asking is, were you mindful enough or self-conscious enough to ask or, or to come to a conclusion about why these things were true about you? Like, why were you, did you not have many hobbies? Why were you... Uh, different, you know. Were you self-conscious and self-aware li enough like that to ask yourself or come to conclusions about that? No, I don't think I was. Um, I couldn't really. Uh, I don't think I was at all. I don't think I really had much of a, uh, a concept of, uh, or that I could grasp why I was that way. Back then, the, the thing mostly in my mind um, was the fact that I was in custody with my grandparent the most, and what they said when. Uh, it's almost like I didn't allow myself my own opinion to form, or at least didn't have any concept of, of, of why. Let's, let's hop right into the next question then, because you just mentioned your grandparents, and somebody else brought that up and wanted to know some more details there. For example, you talked about your difficult home environment with a narcissistic uh, grandma, 
And you alluded to her emotional and psychological abuse uh, rather than physical abuse. So the person was asking if you could give a few examples about the nature and instances of that abusive behavior. And, of course, they, they apologized if they were overstepping and said you didn't have to answer, but they're, they're asking anyway. No, it's absolutely fine. I'll start off with the lighter traumas before I get the heavy stuff, Brian. <laughs> All right. I have absolutely no problem asking that question. Um, could you focus that last bit of the question for me again, exactly specifically what you want? Yeah, so your, your narcissist grandma was abusive. Tell us something specific about that abuse. Uh, um, the first thing that comes to mind is her whispering campaign with me when I was watching TV or eating my dinner. She used to come uh, sit down next to me or, or creep up next to me and say, uh, you're just like your father, you're worthless, you are, you never be anything. Um, very frequently. And um, this was sometimes when my grandfather was there and when my sister was there. When she wasn't there, it was, it was more uh, direct to me. Um, and I constantly would go to her and try and please her. And she'd instantly say, well, that takes... Um, I'll give you an example. Um, she, she asked me what I want to be, and I said, I want to be a doctor, fireman, or what that, anything like that. And, and she would instantly come back with, well, you need brains to do that. You haven't got any brains, you're just like your father. Uh, it was that pattern with everything. But yet I'd constantly ask, and I'd get the same answer. Um, that's, that's one part of the uh, sort of psychological abuse. Um, and, and this was a constant thing. The other thing was, um, what stands out, which happened frequently, I'd, she'd always accuse me of things that I didn't do to get me in trouble. Uh, there's one particular example, she dropped, my, my grandmother dropped a hot coal on the carpet, which burned. When my grandfather came home, she told him that it was me. So I got, I got, I got the belt from him, and as I was shouting at my nan, saying, you're lying, it's, it's, you know, it's you, uh, I got a belt from her. Um, me being accused of a liar so it, I got a double punishment from that and that was quite a regular thing um, I'd, be, I'd be set up to foul at all, all times uh, for things like that and this, this was very very common so even back then I didn't know whether I was coming or going the other thing that stands to mind is, is um, sexual shame and humiliation even from a very young age uh, young enough certainly to still be bathed for my grandparents for my nan uh, regular comments about me, which I didn't have any concept of back then, you know, nowhere near sexualised at, at a very young age. And also, um, I wasn't allowed to use a toilet indoors until I was about 11 years old. I used to have to go in a bucket in the garden. My sister was allowed, and even then, I really didn't think there was anything that wrong with it. Um, even though at home, and my parents would always use a toilet. But every time I'd bring it up to my parents, um, it would be I'd be shushed and being told I was making it up. So that's just an example of what I got on a regular basis. Man, that is uh, that is some heavy stuff. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of people wanting to give you a hug after this. I think, Matt. <laughs> Hugs fix all kinds of things. I'll be up for that. The, you just you talked about psychosis in the last um, episode. Can you uh, describe that? Uh, can you describe the psychosis you experienced, and was it provoked by any kind of substance abuse? Uh, absolutely not. I've never been into drugs, or and I, I'm teetotal pretty much, so no drugs or drink for me. Uh, cold turkey. It's provoked. It's a lot of stress-related, a lot of stress-related paranoia. Uh, events happen, things happen. Uh, then that goes into psychosis. It still happens now if I let things escalate um, rather than getting a handle on it. Uh, and it's it's not through any substance. It's from me spiraling. Um, things tend to become unreal. 
So you would, uh, would you hear things, see things? What, what kind of psychosis were we talking about here? For one, I become extremely hypervigilant and start hearing voices outside of my head, uh, phone calls, for example, with ringing people having conversations right next to me and um, that sort of psychosis. Um, things jumping out on me. Uh, I'd lift up my arms and I'd, I'd look at my armpit here and there'd be spiders, just, just for the briefest of seconds. That's when, that's when it was its worst. Um, when it would go into uh, well, what I class as full, full psychosis. Has that gotten better or has that, has that improved? Uh, that's, got, that's got a hell of a lot better. Um, and a lot of that's down to having an understanding of the why and, and, and how I was through, through stress and whatever, however, I was escalating myself. I was, I was use that word again, I was triggering myself to get myself into the state. So I can plot, I can plot how it was happening and I can tend to stop it coming back from the edge and it's, I've managed to get a handle on it. Um, I take preemptive things, for example. I'll take I'll take some diazepam to take the edge off early on when I feel it, and I get to manage it. Or I do other mindful things, for example. I, I take action. There's still a risk to it because obviously uh, it's stress related. Um, but I have a lot of insight and uh, I understand my own body and why it's happening, uh, and I can pretty much stop it from getting that far. Excellent. Let's let's try to end on a positive note. You sound pretty upbeat. Uh, how have things been since we last talked? Uh, yeah, things have been um, steady, um, which is why I crave, to be honest, a little bit of stability. Um, things on the outside, I'm, uh, things are going well. I'm uh, managing my time well, uh, as far as, um, you know, um, getting back into education. I'm looking after my relationship, um, making sure my friends are healthy. So I'm keeping myself pretty stable, and evidence suggests, outwardly at least, um, that I've got a lot to be thankful for, and I've started to evidence that a lot, which has increased my quality of life uh, over the last six months. So things are going really well at the moment. There it is. That's the interview with Matt Wilson. And, uh, man, I just have such a good time talking to him. I hope he'll come back in the future because uh, I'm sure that everybody would like to see and hear how he's doing. Uh, he, I think he's a great example for our group. I think he's a great example for the people who follow me and listen to me, not because of anything that um, that I've done for Matt, but rather because of what he's done for himself and the insights that he has to share that complement the things that I that I tell people. So um, I just feel really honored to have uh, spent the last couple podcasts talking to him, and I hope he'll be back. Folks, you have a great week. Stay warm or stay cool wherever you're at. Stay dry or stay wet, whatever your preference is. And uh, I'll talk to you real soon. As always, thanks for listening.